Hi, this is Mel Fulton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Literati Glitterati. Championing stylish wordsmiths and sterling conversation, it's a weekly book show that loves a good story well told. Literati Glitterati is broadcast live on Triple R each Wednesday from midday till 1pm. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. My name is Mel Fulton and welcome to Literati Glitterati, a show about books and stories. We're delighted to have you. I would like to pay my respects to the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and to Bunjil, the great creative spirit. The Colonial Project is an ongoing one, but this always was and always will be Aboriginal land, and I would like to express my solidarity with the people of Palestine at this time. This is a diabolical humanitarian crisis. Please call for a ceasefire today. Do it every day. Um, We simply have to do something about it. Um, Coming up on the show today... All kinds of great things. No doubt you've heard of Nepo Babies, but we've got Australia's first Nepo Daddy on the show. Um, Shout out to Sam Cummins, music content producer here at the station and host of brilliant show Press Colour, which should absolutely be a mainstay of your Saturday lunchtime listening schedule. Um, His dad, Mick Cummins, has written an extraordinary novel. It's called So Close to Home and it centres Aaron, a young addict living rough on the streets of South Melbourne, and it's informed in part by Mick's experience as a social worker. Uh, This year it won the Victorian Premier's Premier's Literary Award for an unpublished manuscript and it's now a published novel, out now through a firm press um, for all of us to enjoy. Also on the show, poet and artist Clarice Stevens will be joining me to discuss the new anthology from RMIT's professional writing and editing students. It's called What You Become, and it's on sale from today, I believe, at Readings. Um, One of the many heartwarming things about Mick's book, um, it's called So Close to Home, is um, that it's a really tender portrait of Melbourne and of its music, and the main character, Aaron is, of course, a Triple R listener. So I have full agency to play a classic grab bag of all-time Triple R jams today, which is very exciting, all inspired by the book, of course. Um, To kick us off, this is Dick Diver with New Start Again. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. On Triple R's Literati Glitterati, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you today our first guest on the show, Mick Cummins. Mick has written, produced and directed plays, documentaries and drama series. He's a social worker and writer and winner of this year's Victoria's Victorian Premier's Literary Award for an unpublished manuscript. So Close to Home is his debut novel um, and it's out now through Affirm Press. Welcome to the show, Mick. Oh, thanks, Belle. It is an absolute delight to have you on the show. Mick, can you tell us... Maybe just to get us rolling, where this project started for you? Uh, well, it was probably a bit more than 10 years ago, Mel, when I I was working in crisis accommodation and I was hearing these stories coming. I was meeting people talk, and they were telling me their stories about living on the streets and dealing with uh, trauma and drug addiction and alcoholism and... And the, you know, the end result of that was often quite, you know, destructive for their lives and, I don't know, I just started thinking about their stories and combining it in a way that I wanted it to be engaging and so I could take that, their stories further into the community and hopefully bring about some awareness of their situation. Yeah. Um, 
this story is it's the story of Aaron, who's who's a young man. He's just turned eighteen, and he has, um, you know, a, a good relationship with his mum, but a wounded one. And she's asked him to leave because his addiction has become out of control, and she's needed to create some boundaries. And Aaron is living he's living rough around South Melbourne, which is where his mother's house is. Um, and he's using heroin, and he meets somebody he meets somebody that we we call the man who. Um, you know, who who is a very well-presented person, who is somebody with a lot of money and is someone who represents uh, the opportunity for Aaron to make enough money to keep using and to escape the sort of the pain that he's living in from day to day. And, you know, throughout that relationship, I suppose, the man represents a whole bunch of things that Aaron is desperately trying to block out and those things continue to come to the surface Aaron is a is a wonderful person. He's totally resilient. He's very charming. He's I think he's hopeful in lots of ways. He's got a big heart. He wants to fall in love. He's a beautiful guitar player. He loves music. Can you tell us about Aaron as a person and how how you I suppose how you met him on the page, how he became <laughs> your character? Oh, well, that's a lovely description of him. I think he's more than anything he's incredibly determined. He is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, the use of the heroin really is a self-medicating thing for him to kill the pain that he's, you know, suffered from the, you know, the abuse that he suffered when he was eight years old. And, you know, he's, he, he has a plan and he has the steps in the plan and, you know, one of them obviously is to, to rid himself of the pain and that's what the heroin does, but it's not, you know, it's not going to get him to where he wants to be it's not going to get him back you know having a relationship with his mother so he's you know he is a good guitarist and he loves music and you know he he wants the first step is to get some money to buy a guitar so he can start busking but you know that's a lot harder than it sounds (laughs) um and things go wrong and yeah so he's he you know there's plan A and then there's plan B and and plan C and D <laughs> and I think you know what is what is so so frustrating to to read this and and I'm sure that this is reflected in your experience as a so, social worker is that at every turn Aaron knocks up against these these blockers you know like from the from the very first scene in the book when he's trying to get some emergency accommodation and there there is no emergency accommodation except in Moe you know and he's he's 18 his one sort of lifeline and connection to the world is is his mother and the the few friends that he has and he's being asked to go there he gets one night um you know in a backpackers he doesn't have a phone so no one can be in touch with him uh when he decides that he wants to busk he doesn't have a busking license that takes quite a long time and you need to provide several points of ID in order to be able to do that and we're sort of we knock up against as readers the kinds of challenges that you knock up against when you are um when you are marginalized you know and when you are living on the streets and when you are um you know facing sort of mental illness or addiction problems and things like that and we we really feel I think reading this book how dehumanising the system can be. And I wanted to ask you about that. Like, as a social worker, how did that, how did that work and that experience sort of inform this book? Yeah, well, that's a really good analysis. <laughs> <laughs> I went big, sorry. Something very close to my heart. 
Um, I mean, look, well, the first thing is, you know, um, we all need somewhere to live. I mean, it's a basic human right. And when you're denied that, you know, you lose connection, as in Aaron's case, and it's 95% of the time that I found working in that sector is you're uh, estranged from your family, the first thing, either through mental illness or drug addiction or, the, you know, the family just can't cope anymore with the situation. And um, so, you, yeah, you lose connection with your family, you lose connection with the community, any positive connection, and your connections are really built around people in the same situation, sort of create this pseudo-family environment which tends to be okay for a while but it's very fragile and, you know, because of all of the issues that people are dealing with, the same sorts of issues. Yeah, so, um, you know, not having a place to live is um, it's a basic human right but when you haven't got it, you can't build a life, really. Um, it's uh, damn near impossible. Yeah, nowhere to put your stuff, nowhere no. to cook a healthy meal, no. nowhere to invite people no, to, no. nothing to put on your Centrelink application no. or your rental application. No, no. It just spirals and spirals. No. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the title that you've chosen for this book. It's called So Close to Home. We know the Paul Kelly uh, record and song. Some of us have read Raven, uh, Raymond Carver's fantastic short story that that was yes. taken from. Tell us about how you came to that name and what it sort of means for the narrative. Well, it's an interesting question, Mel, because I actually had another title. Yes, yes, I thought you did. When it won the prize, I yes, noticed it, it did was, have a different yes, name. Yes, it was, it was uh, a different title, Um so the publisher, my publisher of Firm Press, sort of thought, no, that's not going to work because it sounded a bit too romantic. It wasn't my intention, but, um, yeah, so they came up with it. And I actually Googled the title and I saw how many times it's been used, really. Certainly Paul Kelly and mm. Raymond Carver and so on. Um, but, you know, I liked it immediately and I think it's really apt you know, it is. He, Aaron is close to home, but like so many people in his situation, are close to home, but they can't quite get there. They can't reach it. Yeah. 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 I think. I think that that's that's it. <laughs> just can't. Just can't quite get there. Um, you're someone who's got a lot of playwriting experience, uh, writing for television experience. How um, how did you come to writing a novel? Like, why why was the novel the right sort of medium to tell this story? Um, well, I actually wrote it initially as a treatment for a feature film, and I you know talked to a few producers, and as much as they liked the story, um, they couldn't see how they could sell it. So it's basically been sitting in my drawer for, as I said, ten years. And um, wow, and it's a story that hasn't left me. And uh, my partner suggested just before COVID or COVID had just started, she said, why don't you write it as a novel? Yeah. So I thought, oh, yeah, okay, I will. And um, once I started, I couldn't stop. So It's incredible that something that has been sitting in a drawer for 10 years is still uh, just as relevant or even more so now than it has ever been. Um, we're really at a point of, of crisis, I think, in the, in the way that we – offer care or don't to people and, and dignified solutions to housing. Um, yeah, that's absolutely true. In fact, you know, it's, it's gotten worse, particularly, you know, with, with what's going on now with the economy. And, um, and I look, honestly, I believe there's been a 
shortage of housing in Australia since colonisation, and we've never we've never actually dealt with the issue. There's no. always been an undersupply of houses, and that just continues to be the case. And I don't think, you know, as a government, social policy, we don't deal with it in a in a in a satisfactory way, and so the problem continues to exist and get worse. Mick, can you tell us a little bit about um, the process of choosing the music to feature in this book? Because <laughs> something that really gives us Aaron's humanity, I think, as he struggles through the novel is is his passion for music and his taste in it and the way that he seeks solace in it, I suppose. Yeah, well, I think the first thing is the reason I chose him to be a musician is so many young people that I saw when I was working in a community centre that played music in one form or another and how talented they were and how they weren't able to fully realise that talent. So I think that was the impetus for it. And also my son Sam works <laughs> works at Triple R. So. Hey, Sam. <laughs> Great work you're doing. I did um, ask him to provide me with a list of songs for that particular era and to match the mood different moods in the book, different themes that were coming out. And he gave me a long list and I listened to the songs and then it was quite easy actually to make the choices. Yeah, okay. I feel like that song, Be Not So Fearful, by Bill Fay, it's... um it sort of points to a really moving moment in the book um, and, and some really beautiful mar- uh, re- memories between Aaron and his mother. Aaron's mother exits Aaron from the house because um, his addiction has totally escalated and she needs to, you know, establish a boundary or draw a line in the sand. Um, but a way that they kind of continue to, to be together and um, and you know, make space for each other and for their relationship is to sort of listen to music and make music. Can you tell us about the importance of that relationship for Aaron? Oh, well, it's everything to him, really. Um, Oh, gosh. Um, It's such a hard one because she loves him so much and she wants him to give up heroin and she's tried everything she possibly can to do that. She tries everything for to somehow for him to reconcile his relationship with his father. I mean, she's trying to keep the family together. She failed with the husband. She's trying to keep Aaron safe, really, and she doesn't want him to end up dead. Um, mm. And so this is a last last resort for her to ask him to leave and um, to do something with his life. And he's driven by that. You know, the book is about his desire to re-establish his relationship with his mother and to reclaim his life really from you know the moment when he was eight years old and his life was stolen from him. Yeah I think um, you know unfortunately we're running out of time but I think that something that's really important to talk about in this conversation and when we're talking about the book is about um, the way that um, cultural expectations around manhood can cripple people and cripple relationships and um, and cause irrevocable damage and unbelievable kind of stress stress and pressure on um, on caregivers on mothers and fathers and parents and children and that's really uh, that's really seen in Aaron's story. Um, Aaron suffers terrible abuse as a child his father cannot accept it will not acknowledge it um and it 
destroys their household. Um, what did you want to say or why, you know, can you tell us a bit about um, the process of, of writing that dynamic and, and, and why it was important for you? Oh, gosh, Mel, that's a big, <laughs> that's a big question. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, you know, just so damaging that sort of abuse is and the, the, and about men not, you know, the, the men having power over, over, you know, I guess over children or over women or over, you know, and they somehow use that power in a way that's so destructive and they're not willing to face up to what they're doing. They they think somehow it's it's not doing any damage and it is so terribly destructive and um, yeah and and common unfortunately yeah and cyclical too and I think. cyclical that's right and how how you break that cycle I think that's part of you know Aaron's mission in life and that's you know what leads to the end of the book and yeah. <laughs> And I don't, I don't want to give too much away uh, to readers about the end of the book, but I, I, I would really love to know from your perspective, uh, you know, the book was set in the recent past, about 10 years ago or something like that. Where, you know, where do you think Aaron is now? Uh, I, I think he's on the path to, to, to reconciling with his mother, that's for sure. No, he made that decision. There was only one, only one choice he had. Really? Oh, he had two choices, mm. and he took. Neither choice was. Uh, neither was good. <laughs> neither was no. good. No. So he took the one that would uh, hopefully, and, I, and he's determined yeah. to be able to walk back home to his mother and knock on the door and say, "I'm back." Yeah, I certainly hope so. Mick, thank you so much for joining us on Literati Glitterati today. Oh, thank you, Mel. You've uh, been very good. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, so Close to Home is out now in all good bookshops and at your local library. It's published by Affirm Press. Please do pick up a copy. Melbourne's own Triple R. It is my great delight to introduce to you our second guest on the show. Clarice Stevens is a poet and editor from Melbourne. Uh, they are a member of the team of writers and editors behind What You Become, an anthology of new writing by RMIT's professional writing and editing program, which is on sale, on sale now um, at readings and online through Clover Press. Welcome to the show, Clarice. Thanks for having me. It's our absolute pleasure. Um, congratulations on the release of this wonderful anthology. Can you please tell us a little bit about the theme that you've gone for? It's called What You Become. Yeah. What does that mean to yeah. you? Yeah, so we sort of went with a the theme of change for this book. So we've got 46 contributors and they... Um, Sorry, let me start again. My my brain's a bit fuzzy. Um, no problem at all. You've got 46 contributors, so you're working with lots and lots of people, yeah. lots of minds. It's your first time all collaborating together. Yeah. And you've gone for this theme, what you become. Yeah, so it's all about change and how the world is becoming a new and sort of foreign place. So a lot of the writers went for um, different sort of approaches to the, the theme. So we've got... Um, sort of pieces about identity and body and personality and growth and also more global changes like climate change and seasonal change and how we're sort of moving into a new world. 
Yeah, fantastic. It sounds like a really rich, um, a really rich theme and lots of different kind of lines of inquiry you can draw yeah. from it. Um, I was very excited to see that you've got Claire G. Coleman featured in the anthology and she has written a wonderful introduction. Tell us about your relationship with, with Claire. How did that come to be? Yeah, so we were really looking for change makers to do our introduction because, you know, we want people who are making ripples in the literary scene. And she really was the perfect fit. So we approached her via email and then also on social media. And she got back to us and said she would be delighted to work with us, which was fantastic because she's such a phenomenal writer and prolific in the scene. Yeah, she absolutely is. So very cool. So let me just sort of get things straight. You've got you've done this um, you've put together the anthology over the course of one university semester, is that right, as a part of a class? Yep. 46 students in the cohort, some wanting to become uh, poets, some fiction writers, some working um, as editors and proofreaders and things like this. Mm-hmm. Some people you know very well, I imagine, and others that you don't know so well. Yeah, very tight deadline. Um, Absolutely. What, 10 weeks, 12 weeks to publication from strangers to putting out a, an anthology together? Yep. So we started in about mid-July and finished the production process around mid-October. So it was very tight and, um, yeah, very busy. <laughs> Incredible. It's sort of like, it sounds like, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's a group project turned up to 11, I suppose. Yeah. What did you learn about what did you learn about yourselves and each other from doing something like this? Oh my god, so much. <laughs> um it's such a such a fast-tracked process. So, I was like honestly really surprised by how many steps go into the creation of a book, you know? So, it's like we we started with a selection process where we chose the pieces that were going into the book and then we went into copy edits and structural edits and proofreads and it was just so many steps and you know once we're in the thick of it 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 goes so quickly and yeah it was just like constant learning and having to collaborate with each other to make this thing the best thing it can be cool um you yourself are a contributor as well yes. as a member of the marketing team for the project Tell us a little bit about your contribution. Yeah, so my contribution is a poem called Kitchen Garden. And basically with the poem, I played with the concept of semantic satiation, which is basically... What's that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So basically that's where you repeat a word so many times that it sort of becomes divorced from its original meaning. So I got the word spatula and I have this line where it says, um, I... The word spatula stops me because it sounds like a flower. And then I go on to talk about how the word sort of can be floral in a way. Yeah, and repeat the word until it sort of becomes moved from what it originally means. Cool. So interpreting that theme of change in terms of how how language becomes music or how language kind of pushes beyond itself. Absolutely. So it's sort of more about um, our changing perceptions and how we can see things in different lights in different contexts. Yeah, beautiful. Um, something that I think is is really special about this anthology and about this collection is that you've um, that you've made it a physical, you know, a physical object, a quite a beautiful one for people to behold. Yeah. Um, talk to us about the thinking behind that you know in an age where people are increasingly sort of going online um and and print you know print press is um 
well, I imagine with all of the other considerations that you're sort of taking into account, it adds extra deadlines, extra time considerations, yeah. um, you know, thoughts about sort of presentation and pag- pagination and all of these kinds of things. Why was it important to the group to, to print the journal? I mean, I think a lot of the writers are sort of coming into the industry for the first time. So this will be like one of the first printed things that they have in their hands. And it's really nice to have that physical object to hold with your work written on the page in such a eloquent way. And it's been typeset by a professional typesetter. So we we hired out like a typesetter and a cover designer. And yeah, it's just it's to have something put together like that and show your words. It's just super special. Yeah, cool. Um, On that, I mean, are there any, um, you know, any submissions that that you'd like to, um, you know, point us in the direction of? Anything, uh, you know, any really interesting interpretations of the theme that you'd like us to know about? Yeah, so if you look at the first uh, book, piece in the book there's a piece by Elle McFadzian called Medical Certificate and it's sort of like uh it's it's like the immediate change or how do I phrase this exactly she sort of has this setup where um there's a student who wants to get out of doing swimming class which you know we've all been there we don't want to do sports Mm -hmm. um and then it sort of becomes revealed later on that there's actually a very valid reason why she doesn't want to do the class, and it's because she might metamorphize into another being if oh, she cool. touches water. <laughs> yeah, so it's very exciting. Um, there's also another one by Michael Nguyen Huyen called Bad Timing, which is just so beautiful. Um, it's really like a tableau of the world and everything that goes on so in- instantaneously. And so we move from one thing to the next and to the next. And the prose is very quick and very fluid. And then he gets to this ending that's just, you have to read it. <laughs> okay, cool. Michael Nguyen's uh, poem towards the end of the book sounds very interesting. Um, what I want to ask you about, I suppose, is, um, you know, we've, we've touched on this about the process of collaborating with 46 people, but they're not just, they're not just people, they're, they're writers. And a lot of, um, you know, a lot of what's in the anthology is, um, I suppose, you know, it's very, it's very tender writing. People have been quite open and quite generous with themselves in the writing of the text. Mm. How has that informed the way that the book has been created and the relationships between you all? Because, you know, to read this is to, is to get a slice of sort of someone's, someone's life in a lot of cases, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, especially as editors, we have to really consider the the heart that's going into the story and what people are intending to say with their words and whether or not that's being delivered. And yeah, it's really like people giving a a piece of themselves to put on show, which is very vulnerable. Um, Yeah. We're talking to Clarice Stephen on Literati Glitterati. Clarice is a member of the editorial team behind What You Become, which is a wonderful new anthology of new writing from professional writing and editing students um, at RMIT. It is on sale. It's actually been on sale for a week, I believe, through readings. Um, and people can pick it up online as well. Is that right? Yep. So you can order it through readings and also Booktopia. And we're, we're sorting out the ebook at the moment, so that should be available soon. Ah, oh, fantastic. Well, 
congratulations on a wonderful anthology. Um, I do implore you, if you are listening out there, to pick up a copy and support uh, new emerging writers. They're doing wonderful and exciting things. The book is very beautiful. Um, and you can pick it up from readings or online. Clarice, thank you so much for joining us on Literati Glitterati today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Literati Glitterati, a weekly book show that loves a good story well told. Literati Glitterati is broadcast live on Triple R each Wednesday from midday to 1pm. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and please feel free to keep in touch at rrr.org.au.